Yes, hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Regan's Rugby Strength and Conditioning. How's everyone doing on this fine day? It's a Tuesday morning here in uh, here in Seged. It's going to be about 18 degrees, sun is shining. It's a bit nippy, but in the sun it's pretty warm. How is it where you are? I'm guessing if you listen to this, you're UK-based, or at least from, been lived in the UK at some point in your life. And uh, it's probably fucking raining, eh? What is it? It's October. It's probably fucking raining. England is notorious for, sorry, UK is notorious for shitty rain, shitty weather. It, I think it geographically, geographically, it, it's just a downpour. I think as uh, as the winds travel across, oh, what sea is that? The ocean, Pacific Ocean? Atlantic? I think it's the Pacific Ocean. The one between England and America. Uh, as the water travels across that, it collects loads of water vapour in the air. Look at this fucking geography lesson. It collects water vapour during the air, and because the coast coastline of England and the west coast of France is pretty mountainous, it come it almost acts as it, it, it squeezes the water out. Look at this proper history lesson, geography lesson. Um, it squeezes the water out of the out of the atmosphere, and that forms clouds, and that forms rain, and uh, that's the same on the west coast of France. Um, and the leave on some of the west coast of Portugal and Spain. But it's not as rainy as that because it's further south. Um, and whilst people bitch about the, the rain, I've actually learned to appreciate the, the, the greenness of England and how much uh, how green it is and how the, the lands are sort of covered in green and vegetation and shit. As opposed to where I am now, it's obviously there's not much rain, which is fantastic for weather and doing stuff. But as you're driving down the motorway, it's kind of almost like like muddy and dusty farms rather than nice undulating British hills. But anyway, that's enough of a history story. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'm talking about this because one of my topics I was going to talk about is how weather can affect your mood. Um, obviously, I've not been in England for a year now. And like I just said, there's not much rain here. The weathers are pretty extreme. Summer is like 35 degrees. Winter is like minus 5 degrees. So it's quite extreme weathers, but there isn't any rain. Which means that you can just do a lot more outdoor things. You don't have to be indoors. I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot more outdoor sports and outdoor gatherings around around here when, when, you're, when you're away. Because obviously you have the ability, whereas in England or the UK, you can barely even plan for anything outside, because it's probably going to piss it down. Um, the only thing you do outside is probably your, your rugby on the weekend, or if you play footy or whatever you do. And if that pisses, if it pisses it down, then uh, you just carry on with your day. Yeah, I've I've actually researched a lot into how weather affects your mood, and sunlight on your skin is a good uh, a natural caffeine to wake you up, and it actually makes you more happy. Clinically, scientifically proven. Um, and that's why maybe people are just fucking miserable. But hey ho! And also, when it's good weather, you, you can do more stuff rather than stuck indoors. Um, and it just means there's so much more, so much more room for activities in life, not just in, uh, not just in, uh, in your sports or whatever. And no one likes training when it's raining. No one likes. Oh, you know what's funny actually? When it when it does rain here, even just a little drizzle, people act like it's it's a torrential rain, <laughs> and. Uh, where I where I would put my hood up and just walk through town, people are literally hiding under the under the covers of the shops because of a little drizzle. I'm like, come on, get your fucking British white skin on, just get under there. Um, but yeah, how much better is it when you turn up to a game and it's actually clear sky and the ground isn't fucking dirty, muddy, or whatever, or training as well? 
um, miserable when it's raining, when it's raining, and you have to sort of encourage players and get them down when, you know, secretly you don't want to be there either. But that's part of the game of being in charge, and uh, that's part of the responsibility. But yeah, how, does anyone else feel like that's the case? When the weather's good, they feel good. When it's not, then they don't. And obviously, if you're in the UK where the weather is probably over 50% shit, maybe that's going to... Maybe that's going to bring uh, bring upon a bit of negativity around. But who fucking knows? This is a rugby podcast. Let's talk about rugby. Injury prevention was a topic I was going to chat about. Uh, in our in our game on the weekend, because obviously we're still able to play rugby because we're not in a fucking state of panic like the UK is. Uh, we had a lot of injuries, to be fair. I think, there's, I, think, I think at least four guys came off and like two guys had to get blood binned. Um, and, and a little part of me was like, oh shit, it should be, I should be looking after that in my training and in my warm-ups and my stuff. But I feel I do, I do that. Um, it was just a little, maybe a couple of minutes of thinking, oh shit, maybe it's my fault. But it's not, because one of our problems as a team is that hardly anyone, not hardly anyone, but not all the first team come to train. And that's a problem because they are fit in the gym and they might go for runs, but the change of direction and impact you have to get ready for in rugby is uh is completely different to in the gym and you can't you can't uh what's the word you can't replicate that unless you are running around people running into people taking contact i I, i'm not a firm believer of full contact in training if there's a game if we're in season definitely not um because i think you need to look after players i think going up to 80 percent, like you can still hit people to the floor and still ruck pretty hard um but with it, depending on the numbers in your team and who you value, not who you value, but obviously every player is valued. But I don't think you should go above sort of 80% because then you are going in the realm of killing each other. Um, unless you have a pack of guys that are very happy to do that, then they can just run headfirst into each other all, all they want. Even though there's one guy I know already this year who does that every week and he's been injured twice, which is no... Uh, which is no surprise, really. But yeah, de- dealing with injuries. So the first thing, not, not dealing, sorry. I'm talking about re- pre- uh, preventing them. So I'm not a rehab coach, but as everyone knows, I've been injured a hell of a lot of my life. Stopped playing rugby when I was 18. <laughs> oh my God. Um, there's a lot of preventative stuff you can do. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of people, when they're starting a gym routine, um, they copy Arnold's, they copy bodybuilding plans, they copy men's health, which is not sport specific. It is not going to prep you for a for a sports match. Um, it is going to pump your muscles up. Um, and, and, and if you're looking to lose weight, you shouldn't be going on machines anyway, because they're the most useless piece of shits. In fact, I'm going to talk about that later. Machines versus freeways, because it's a good topic. And I actually only wrote down three things for this podcast. And it might have been short. So we get on to that. Injury prevention. So going to training is obviously important. Um, you don't have to go mega uber hard. Like when you go super hard, technique drops, you can get injured yourself there. Even when you're doing exercises at like 50 to 70%, you're still conditioning your ankles and your calves and your hamstrings and everything like that to get it stronger. You don't need to do a max deadlift to strengthen your back or your hamstrings. You don't need to do a max squat to do it. Um, you want to do, you want to work just under the rate you're going to do in a game to really prepare yourself and get your 
joints and muscles and legs strong and used to these little movements so that when a big impact comes, you're used to it rather than... We all know that there's these fucking huge meatheads who don't come to training, but they look nice and big and scary, but they can't run and then they get injured. Like if you get... I was I was working in a, in a gym that had a jiu-jitsu club and every now and again, one of the big bodybuilders would would try one class, injure themselves against some little dweeb and uh, never come back again. Um because they are not built for for the impacts of sport. They are built to have big, pretty muscles, which are useless, which is, well, I think that's pointless, unless you're a bodybuilder, unless that's what you want to do. But, but training for sport, you need to be um, doing sport-specific stuff and doing your sport training. Um, and at the training, the warm-ups are essential. Doing, doing a warm-up, not just like jog around a pitch, but opening up the joints, uh, bouncing on the legs, getting the upper body warm, getting the joints nice and open um, is going to get the blood flow in there and get your body ready in case it's pushed at that end of end of range, which is when you might get injured. Um, if you're not used to putting your arms over your head and then when you're in the bottom of a ruck, you find yourself in that position and then someone falls on you, you're probably going to fuck yourself up. Whereas in training, if you open your shoulders and do some overhead squats and do some other stuff like that, then your shoulders are going to be used to that range and it's going to be sort of less likely that you get injured is one thing to do. Um, also, yeah, get into, just get into rugby training is going to be good for injury prevention um, because you're running more, you're sidestepping more, you're doing, you should be doing some contact, you'll be taking some hits rather than uh, it's a really real, it's a real normal thing for, for people to get injured do their physio, do their gym rehab, feel feel fit because they've done the gym workout plan and then maybe do one week of training and then play and get injured again because their body is fit. Like, how can I say this? It looks good. The muscles are pumped. You feel physically fit because you are, you've been doing some rowing machines, you've been going for runs, but you haven't been doing sidestepping up and down, reacting to players, hitting players or getting hit by players. Um, so make sure you, if you're coming back from injury, you've got to play a few weeks um, before you try and play a game. And you need to train up until almost full contact. Well, into full contact. But like I said, I don't think you should be doing past 80 or 90% in training with your buddies without risking injuring each other. Um, I'm a bit of an injury phobe. I didn't, I, 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 like I just said, I haven't played since I was 18. I've been out of the, the rugby uh, team environment only up until the last few years and i'm a real injury 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 phobe i've got phobia of injuries just because i've been through it and when i'm personal training clients if i get them injured um they're not going to come for a month and my income is fucked for a month so i was always super slow always super careful um at making sure you don't push themselves with a team sport it's completely different because people want to train they want to smack into each other and sometimes you have to be the reins and you have to say whoa boys let's save it for a game um at the risk of injuring players or or well risk of injuring players basically um so to prevent injury go to rugby training start doing the work rugby specific work um, rehab should be a part of everyone's training plan. If you are mid late 20s and you're playing rugby, you should be doing some mobility rehab drills in your week, either one or two every session or a whole day. Um, everyone's got busted shoulders. Everyone's back's getting sore. Uh, you need to keep agile on your feet. So just a, I like to do one or two exercises before I start. I put it into my general warm-up. Let's say I was doing a push workout or an upper body workout. I'll be doing some snow angels on the floor 
and then some rotator cuff stuff, which is involved in my normal warm-up. And then you're sort of killing two birds with one stone. So do your rehab, if you're prehab even, preventative. Um, it's like buying insurance. You don't, you don't have a car, and then when your car's busted, like, oh, shit, I should have had insurance. If you, if you pay your insurance, you pay your whatever pound a month. When it does happen in two years' time, you're fine. You're going to get a big payout. And the same is with prehab with your training. One or two exercises every workout, two or three sets. It'll take five minutes. If you do that every week, when you come close to an injury every two or three years, your body's going to be strong enough and ready enough for it. That was a great analogy. Well done, Regan. Yeah, that was a good week, wasn't it? Well done. Um, let's jump onto the machines versus free weights because that's fresh in my head. This is something that um, I saw a lot of when I was working in a gym. I see a lot when anyone who isn't into the gym starts exercising. They might look at some Arnold videos. They look at bodybuilders and they'll do some chest press, some quad extensions, some hamstring curl, a shoulder press machine, uh, some calf raise, and then they'll go home, eat the same food and wonder why they can't lose any weight. Um, machines are really good at focusing on individual muscles and making them bigger um but they are not good for a lot of other things they're not good for uh controlling your core they're not good for posture they're not good for burning a lot of calories because because this fourth reason they're not good for stability and control which burns a lot of calories um and they reinforce negative recruitment patterns i haven't explained this in a while but i'll remember it again so to run your body has to use everything from let's say you're running off your right leg you take one step imagine you're taking one step now so everything has to work from around your middle of your core glutes hammies quads calves all the tiny little ones you've never heard of i can't even think of them they have to work together at, at, like a machine at the same time if you train them separately you do quad extension and train your quad separately you're going to reinforce your brain's ability to tense the quad muscle on its own if you then do hamstring curls and train the hamstring separately, you're going to reinforce the body's ability to train your hams to, to, to flex your hamstrings on your own. Same with the calves, same with the glutes, same with anywhere around. So you've seen when bodybuilders can't run. You've seen when these big guys that can't run because their body's not used to using those muscles in tandem. So you want to use things that you're going to replicate or use in a similar fashion to your sport. Yes, there is a place for a quad machine. Um, there's a place to put on muscle, but for people that are listening to this, they're probably looking for some weight loss. Weight loss is the main key, and sitting on a quad extension is not going to be as useful as three sets of back squats or three sets of goblet squats. That's even safer for, for people with, with back issues, which I come into contact with a lot. Um, machines are on magazines, machines are on videos, all the big bodybuilders are on machines. Um, that is also because they train at least every single day, sometimes twice a day, and they want to do a different body part every day. Now, I might do four chest exercises in a, in a week, maybe, because I've got, I do other things with my life. I think I only hit, I only go in the gym about three times a week now. Um, whereas a bodybuilder will do chest at least one whole workout, and that's gonna be seven or eight exercises. And they might even do it twice a week and they need a million different machines you see these huge massive gyms in america of machine 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 that have like a two percent rocky just farted rocky's under my t-shirt and he just farted that's great oh <laughs> i just wafted it out of my t-shirt he's sitting under my t-shirt anyway rows of machines that have a two percent difference on the machine next to it which is such a waste of floor space and and machinery 
um, when you can do a bench press and change the incline and do a bench press and then make it a dumbbell. And then there's so many other different ways of doing it without taking up loads of space and without spending a thousand pounds on the machine. When I look at an ab crunch machine, I find it hilarious that the gym owner would spend a thousand pounds on an ab crunch machine when every human being in the world can do the exact same thing on the floor. It's fucking ludicrous to me. And a bicep curl machine, a thousand pounds on a bicep curl machine, which takes up two meters squared of floor space, which costs you a thousand pounds, which you've got to maintain, which is probably going to break down in eight years. Whereas every single gym has a dumbbell rack. It's fucking ludicrous. I know that some bodybuilders like the angles and whatever, and for them, they can do that because they're going to do eight to 10 exercises of biceps a week. But for the average person, well, we're not average, we're fucking machines. But for the person listening to this, who wants to lose a little weight, get a bit fitter and play better rugby, I mean, you may not even need to do bicep curls, but if you're going to do bicep curls, just do it fucking standing up. Um, and I'm going to explain why. So let's go back to the squat on the quad machine. So if I sit on a quad machine, when I'm resting, I've probably got bad posture. You're probably on your phone. You're probably hunched doing nothing. Yeah. When you're doing the quad machine, the quad is working, which I'm going to make up a number is 5% of your body. That's made up. Okay. And so 5% of your body is working, doing 10 reps, probably bad posture, probably leaning forward. And then you're going to bit it off. Oh God. Um, and then you're going to sit down for, for a minute, minute and a half, as opposed to a, let's say a goblet squat is simpler. Goblet squat is when you would hold a kettlebell or dumbbell close to your chest in front of you and squat like that. So first of all, you have to clean the object. You have to pick the object up off the floor. That's using energy. Second of all, you need to brace every part of your body to make sure that you're in the right position. So your shoulder weighs together, your core is nice and tight, your lower back is not arched, your glutes are engaged, your knees are pushing out, your feet are screwed into the floor, you're gripping the thing. So, so rather than 5% when you're sitting down on a leg machine, 5% of your leg working at a time, you're, you probably have around 95% because everything from the, from the well, neck downwards is, 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 is being used to support your weight and do the movement. So you can either work 5% of your body or 95%. And also, when if you're training for rugby, when in the hell are you ever going to be sat down and just pushing your leg up? Unless you're sitting on the edge of the... Unless you're a scrum, unless it's a scrum and you're the scrum half and you're sitting on the edge of the scrum, kicking your feet under the swing like an eight-year-old and you're kicking your legs. Like, that's a stupid analogy. I'm trying to say it's not going to fucking happen. Whereas a squat with a weight in front of you with your whole body braced is going to be at least 20 times a game, probably even more. And I'm sorry, that exact movement is going to be 20 times a game, but you're going to use that base of a movement for the whole fucking match. When you uh, stand up, it's a pretty fucking good one. Um, and also between the sets, you're not just going to sit down and fucking play Candy Crush on your phone. You're going to have to walk around because you haven't got anything to sit down on. So free weights are the one, they're better for sport, you can lift more weight, you burn more calories, it's just the fucking one. I'm mm. So one person told me he's got lower back pain um, on nearly all free weight exercises, so any rows, any deadlifts, any squats, so I gave him a, a, a machine-based plan, but I was really anti it. I said no twice, um, and then I just bit the bullet because, you know, he's the client, uh, and you've got to please them because he, he claims that he's so injured and he just listens to this, he knows who it is, but I don't like machines. Whether you're playing sport or not, you can do a lot better workout with free weights 
and a lot more useful workout and actually be strong for day-to-day -day life with free weights rather than have um, big individual muscles like I explained earlier. So free weights are the one, unless you're injured or kind of like a disadvantaged population, elderly people, maybe you've got disability, then machines might be okay because they are safer. Oh, coming back from injury, machines are good. I take that back. Coming back from injury, machines are good because they are safer, because they take the stability out of it. However, if you want to play sport, you need to get on the free weights again. Brian Shaw, five times world's strongest man, quoted, machines are for girls. And I remembered that ever since I started watching Strongman. So big Brian Shaw, who's about 220 kilos, five-time world's strongest man. He's like six foot nine. He's telling you machines are for girls. Machines are for girls. Not that I'm sexist. Oh God, you can't even say that anymore these days, can you? I don't know if any girls listen to this. We'll see. We'll see what's happening on. Uh, what was on the topic? Intrinsic motivation. Yes. So intrinsic motivation is something that you need to get on top of. Um, it basically means the, the real inner reason in yourself that you want to do said thing. Now, if you want to... Um, sorry, if you want to lose some weight, yeah? And the way you talk about it is very, very surface-based, very... I just want to lose some weight, you know, I want to feel a bit better, you know, I want to get back down to 15 stone. Um, that is a that is a goal, yeah? But that's not a reason. That's not the real intrinsic reason. And it's hard for people to open up, but people open up to me a lot about it. And I'm going to give you a few reasons and you tell me if they relate to you. So if someone says to me, oh, I want to be 15 stone again, I ask them, why is that? And then they give me normally at least one more bullshit answer, like, you know, it'll be better there. I was 15 stone when I was younger. And I'll say, okay, Darren, why do you want to be 15 stone? And then they'll go, oh, well, I just, I'm just embarrassed to have my shirt on, have my shirt off at the beach, at the gym, when we're in the changing room. It's just emba embarrassing. And I'm like, good, there's an intrinsic reason. There's a real reason there. Another one they go for is they don't want to be knackered playing with the kids after two minutes a lot of people have young young kids new dads new families and they don't want to be knackered after kicking a ball for five minutes in the park and when they tell me this oh regan i just want to play football with my son you know i want to i want to throw a ball around and not be knackered i'm like good danny that's a good fucking reason darren even it's good intrinsic motivation uh another one can be when someone goes oh, I've just not had a girlfriend for eight years i'm like Fucking good, Darren. Well, let's fucking change that. And that's the intrinsic motivation. And once you say that to someone, and once you put it out on the table, then it's going to be, then you're going to know what you're training for and you're going to stick to it. If you put on your Facebook or you stick on your wall, I want to be 15 stone, that is almost going to do nothing. Because like, that doesn't mean anything. It's just a number on the wall. But if you put on your wall, I want to be 15 stone so I can find a girlfriend again, so I can play with my nephew some more without being tired, and so I can take my shirt off at the beach, that is gonna make you stick to it, and you're gonna to wanna to do that until you achieve those three things. So that is intrinsic motivation. And that is all I was gonna ramble about today. 23 minute podcast, nice and easy. You can do it on a run, drive to work, whatever. Um, yeah, hope that has been useful. I've rambled quite a lot, actually. I can't really remember what I said. Injury prevention we spoke about, intrinsic motivation, your weather and your mood, and machines versus free weights. Pretty good topic, I think. Um, pretty good podcast. And uh, hopefully I get 2 million views again, just like the last one. Lol, JK. Um, but yeah, if you listen to this, 
get in touch and tell me because I want to know who my listeners are. I've got avid listeners that listen to it the day I release it and then just a few trickle by after. So please message me on whatever channel you know about me from and say, Regan, loved your podcast because, you know, I need that extra external motivation. I have no intrinsic motivation. I need someone else to give me a pat on the back for things. No, I'm joking. Well, it'd be nice, but I don't need that. Anyway, have a... Rocky, I think you fired again. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. If you've got any questions about training, shoot me a message, shoot me an email. I would love to help out. All right, see you later. Peace out.